Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. This is our very first episode of Friends for Life. I'm your host, Stephanie Nugebauer, and I'm here with a very special friend. Deaconess Tiffany Manor is director of LCMS Life Ministry, which means she's one of the Lutheran Church's frontline workers for all things pro-life. She's also a pastor's wife, a mom of four, and has a long vocational history serving the church. Deaconess Manor is here to share her story of how God led her to become a faithful advocate for life. As you listen in, keep in mind your pro-choice friends, family, and neighbors. And let's allow Deaconess's story to teach us how we might be an advocate for life in our own communities. Deaconess Manor, welcome. So I'm wondering, how do I refer to you as Deaconess or Tiffany or, or what's best for you? Oh, well, thanks for asking, Steph. Uh, you know, there's a long history with the ecclesiastical title Deaconess uh, going back thousands of years, um, even in the, the book of Romans in the Bible, Phoebe is referenced. And in the original Greek, it's clear she's a deaconess. And that was used for female servants of the church throughout history. Um, it's actually a more ancient title than the, the word pastor. Hmm. And I, I find it's important to use with, with children. I'd like for girls to understand that there's a professional church work vocation for them. But having said all of that, we're friends here. So please <laughs> call me by my first name, my baptismal name. Call me Tiffany. Okay. I will do that. Thank you, Tiffany. So, Tiffany, you haven't always been pro-life. Tell us about that. I have not. I was definitely pro-choice as a young woman, and it was in my 20s that I really had a change of heart. There's some moments that stand out in my memory as I look back that are really uh, like mile markers along my journey. And the first one that comes to mind is about 25-plus years ago after my husband and I were first married. And we were members of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregation that my husband had been a member of since he was a child. And it was a Sunday in January, and I was really upset by a Life Sunday focus of the day. Hmm. After the service was over, I told my husband that I would walk out if there was ever a service like that again. I think he was very surprised that I felt so strongly. And I was really surprised by the strong pro-life message in that worship service. So we were both surprised that day. <laughs> Steph, I don't know if you and your husband have ever uh, been surprised like that to find yourselves coming from very different positions. It, it was quite the day. But that day was the start of a journey that I needed to be on, where I needed to encounter the truth and deconstruct what I had internalized, all of the deceit and the lies. I wasn't totally hard-hearted that I couldn't hear God's word in its fullness, both law and the gospel. I really needed God's people to come around me and to witness to me and share the truth. Hmm. So Tiffany, looking back, where do you think your pro-choice position kind of originated from? I've had some time to think about this, and, and I really, I believe it was formed in public school. You know, we just didn't talk about it in my family or at home. I wasn't raised in the church. I, I think my family was more along the line of considering ourselves Christian because we weren't anything else, kind of a legacy of being culturally Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, I was baptized as a preschooler, thanks to my pushy grandma who insisted. Uh, 
I always say, go, go pushy grandmas. Yes. Um, <laughs> and my Roman Catholic grandparents would take me to, to mass a couple times a year when I would spend the weekend with them. And there were periods of time where my mom dropped me off at Sunday school so I could learn values and, and morals. But um, in my family, we didn't talk about the faith or God as the creator of everything. So in that vacuum, I learned to be pro-choice in school through sex education classes and friends. You know, I, I don't really recall ever hearing anyone talk about the value of human life or about caring for people who are vulnerable, like mm. tiny babies, people with disabilities or people who are ill um, at the end of their lives. So instead, I was taught by society that, that things like autonomy and privacy, uh, mobility and ability are more important. And some of those things are just at odds with what God teaches us in his word in the Bible about human life. You know, God created all life and he greatly values every single life that he creates. You know, he even values life so much that his plan for redeeming us was through Christ laying down his life for us on the cross and being bodily resurrected and ascending to heaven. Yes. And as we look forward to Easter, I can't wait to hear that message again on Easter Sunday. Thank you for that. Tiffany, so was being pro-choice more of a kind of a, a personal and, and closely held belief, or were you out there publicly advocating for pro-choice rights? Yeah, it was really more of a, a personal, closely held belief. Um, I didn't really have, a, you know, an activist kind of experience. I think I assumed that everyone I knew felt the same because we didn't talk about it. I remember uh, in a public speaking class in maybe high school or college, choosing a persuasive speech topic on death with dignity, which is basically advocating for euthanasia. I did a lot of research on euthanasia, which at that time was not legal. Um, <laughs> you know, I give me my age away a little bit, but um, I'm a grandma, so that totally gives away my age. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so euthanasia was not legal at the time, and I was definitely for the legalization of euthanasia. So I guess in that sense, I advocated amongst my peer group, but, you know, I wasn't active outside of, of um, my, my personal circles. You know, I really don't remember ever realizing that anyone I knew was strongly pro-life. It, it just didn't make an impression on me. Hmm. Okay. So tell us about the community that supported you on your journey to becoming pro-life. What kind of impact did others have that led you to change your perspective? Well, the community that supported me was you know, really my husband, uh, our pastor, and our church. And my husband and our pastor were very patient with me, and so were our friends from church. And as I was trying to figure out marriage and motherhood as a Christian, I found role models in my church. I, I learned how to be a Christian wife and mom from the women in our, our weekly women's Bible study and our Lutheran Women's Missionary League group. That That is at least once we really committed to being Lutheran, which is really a an important part of, of our story. And maybe I should should back up a little bit of a time and, and tell you about when I was questioning if I was really Lutheran. I referenced already being annoyed by the Life Sunday at church. <laughs> and there were other things. I got pretty frustrated and started to tell my husband that maybe I wasn't Lutheran and I had just followed him to his church because he grew up in it. Mm. And in his uh, loving and, and very patient way, 
you know, we he agreed to study with me and visit other churches, and that led us on a good journey of knowing um, what we as Lutherans believe and confess. You know, at the time, I was actively trying to find reasons to join a different Christian denomination. A vivid memory is one friend who had left the Lutheran church, and um, I was talking with him about it, and he was he was straight up with me. I, I can still see us. Uh, we had their family over for dinner. We're eating outside the backyard, and toddlers are running around playing. And our friends who I thought would support me in leaving our LCMS church, straight up saying that that's not a reason to go to a different church uh, because you don't like something the pastor said. You need to compare what your pastor says to the Bible. So we did that. And we just couldn't find another denomination, another confession of the Christian faith that really stood on scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, a church that preached and confessed Christ crucified. And then we committed ourselves to our Lutheran identity. We went through catechesis, adult instruction, um, again, but but this time together, my husband and I, with our, our new pastor. And we started being at church all the time, you know, volunteering wherever help was needed and um, being in, in Bible study and, and every worship service. And that is when I really soaked it in from the people around me, like the cloud of witnesses in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And it was hearing the same things from many people in my life, people I looked up to as Christians, where I could see the love of Christ shining through them. And so I experienced uh, Psalm 25, and I, I'd love to read some of that right now. And it's, uh, Psalm 25 starts with, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And that is what God did with me through that uh, patient catechesis with our pastor. The Holy Spirit working through his word changed me, changed my heart. Hmm. And remind me, what psalm is that again? Psalm 25. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Um, that really uh, touched me as well. Yeah, thanks be to God for his faithfulness in leading us to the truth. So Tiffany, what other kind of influence outside of your husband, your church, those cloud of witnesses, what else maybe played a role in you becoming pro-life, if anything? Well, while our... <laughs> Theological exploration was going on while we were uh, determining what we understood about um, the Christian faith and, and our confession of that that faith. Um, so while that was was going on in, in our lives um, within our community, a Planned Parenthood was being built and was opened right down the street from our church. Before that, people had to drive about an hour and away for an abortion. Um, 
And as the Planned Parenthood was coming in, there were a lot of articles in the news, uh, life prayer chains on the street outside. And so that certainly raised my awareness, seeing our community rise up and begin talking about abortion. And I saw that there were many people speaking up and saying that abortion is murder, all the while I was watching and, and listening to my friends at church. And during this time, too, I was experiencing secondary infertility. We'd had a couple of years trying to conceive, and my emotional craving to have another baby made me cherish mama's carrying life in their womb. Hmm. And then I had an early miscarriage. Uh, I began to think of pregnancy and babies differently than I had in, in the past, much more precious. So those things were going on um, you know, physically in my life and then also in our community. And but really what was happening in my heart, what God was doing was, was certainly the primary factor. But um, God brought all these things into my life at, at that time to um, really open my eyes so I could see his truth. So would you describe your change from being pro-choice to pro-life as this aha moment or more of a gradual process? And could you maybe um, explain how this would change the way we would choose to interact with our pro-choice neighbors? Oh, yeah. For me, it was super gradual. It took quite a few years. I really can't say when precisely I was uh, strongly pro-life. It was more of a gradual process, and I realized it after it had occurred. Hmm. I mentioned uh, secondary infertility, and and, um, we did have our our second child. And then um, quite a few years later, I was unexpectedly pregnant with our third, and we were living in a new town, and I had a new doctor, and he recognized that I was shocked to be pregnant, and uh, he asked if I wanted an abortion. Oh. Yeah, I, I vividly recall sitting in that doctor's office and um, was shocked on the same level as I had been years earlier at the Life Sunday. And at that point, I knew that I was strongly pro-life. So I definitely do think that the way we interact with people who are pro-choice is important. We need to be able to communicate with them. So we need to not say and do things that cause them to stop listening. And we need to listen ourselves and try to understand where they're coming from so that we know how to respond. That That's really a whole other topic that maybe you could take up sometime on this podcast. But it's it's important to listen to others. It's important to walk with them. Even if someone has an aha moment or a Damascus Road moment like Saul did before he became the Apostle Paul, there's still time afterwards where those people need to do a lot of deconstruction in their lives and be reconstructed. And we may not even know what is going on in their hearts while this is happening. Uh, The Holy Spirit does a lot of work very quietly in the background of people's lives. And meanwhile, they're watching and listening to the people around them. So our demonstrating Christian love and compassion and speaking the gospel makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, you made you also made a good point too of how we need to dedicate a whole episode to how um, how we we interact and show love, compassion, and good listening skills um, with people who think differently from us. Um, so during the time that you were pro-choice, were there certain things from the pro-life side that you found to be harmful or even detrimental? 
Well, I've described how surprised I was um, to be in that Life Sunday in church. And I would certainly never say having a Life Sunday is harmful or detrimental. But what does concern me is that bringing up the value of the sanctity of human life would be in isolation only one Sunday a year kind of thing that we talk about. So I think it, um, that's something that would be detrimental if we only talk about life um, rarely and um, on uh, set-aside occasions. I think it needs to be more pervasive. But I also think that the graphic imagery that some pro-life activists use is not super helpful. I, I do remember seeing signs like that around the, the area where the Planned Parenthood clinic was being built, which, oh, by the way, that Planned Parenthood clinic in our hometown has now been shut down. Um, and that's a whole story too, but yeah. um, it, it was pretty great for our community to celebrate, um, our hometown to celebrate that that abortion clinic being closed. But as people would stand outside there, sometimes they would hold these really graphic signs. And I didn't find that to be super helpful. At, at the time, it really made me feel like someone was trying to emotionally manipulate me and shock me with those photos, which um, I, I think they were <laughs> trying to do. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it was quite different than people who were patient and loving and walked with me, which again, far more helpful. Tiffany, I would say that I, I agree. I've done some work, um, pro-life advocacy in a mobile van across from a Planned Parenthood as well. And I, and I would agree that those graphic images, um, were, were distressing and probably didn't offer, um, help, but rather harm. So um, from your unique perspective and your experience, Tiffany, what would you say is the biggest mistake we make when it comes to talking about this issue? Well, maybe you can tell from what I've been saying already that I think the biggest mistake is not talking about life. I've mentioned that I assumed other people in my life were pro-choice. This is even while I was attending and becoming a member of an LCMS church. So I'm guessing the people at church assumed I was pro-life. I know my fiance, and I never talked about it before we were married in in our church. Particularly, I get concerned if we're not talking about the value of life from infancy on throughout the college years. Obviously, I look back and I I see the effect of that in my own life, but also in watching what's going on in our culture and in the lives of people who are important to me now. I was really bound and determined to be different with my children and we had to work to find age-appropriate ways to talk with them about life. We talk about uh, people not hurting babies, even tiny ones inside their mama's wombs, but taking care of babies and helping the mamas. And we talked with them when they were young uh, about cherishing people who are at the ends of their lives. And my children have been at the bedside of their grandparents when they were in their final hours and as they died. And we're already talking with my baby granddaughter about how God made her in the womb and how he loves all human life. And again, that's a whole other episode that we will be posting here shortly about how we can raise a new generation and how we can um, teach these even young children about the sanctity of life. Tiffany, how does your past inform your approach to pro-life advocacy now? Well, it gives me a lot of empathy. I tend to assume about people until I learn otherwise that that pro-choice people have a lot of confusion, that they're being misled, uh, lied to, manipulated, or or maybe that there's trauma in their backgrounds that's led to their confusion and their beliefs. 
And my past also makes me really eager to provide resources to the church to use with children to help them see and understand from a very young age, like we were just talking about, to help all people uh, internalize the faith and be able to share their faith, to be able to articulate it with, with friends. And for young people to grow up committed to chastity and to help their friends. Now, when a young woman is vulnerable to abortion, it's her friends who can help her to get the support she needs to give birth. And so we need our young people to be able to wisely advise and help their friends. But also the understanding that we aren't just here to end abortion. I mean, that is a very worthy and needed goal. But ultimately, as Lutheran Christians, we want more people to come to faith. So that's a big part of our message when we talk about life. We remain focused on witnessing our faith and confessing Christ so that more people are saved to eternal life as the Holy Spirit transforms their hearts. Yeah, so as a as a deaconess, Tiffany, uh, what do Lutherans specifically have to offer to the pro-life conversation that might be different from other pro-life messaging out there? Oh, yeah, Lutherans have so much to offer to in, in the pro-life community, as well as so many other areas in, in life that um, where God's mercy is needed. We have a, a really good understanding of suffering. Uh, we call that the theology of the cross. It, it really it means that Jesus Christ was God incarnate who came to bear our sin, which meant he suffered. We're not going to alleviate suffering in this world. Jesus told us we'd always have the poor and the sick with us. But what we we do know is that God promises to be with his people in their suffering. You know, as as humans, we don't think of suffering as good. It's quite the opposite. We want to end it. We want to alleviate suffering. And that's a lot of what's said in the pro-life community, um, this desire to alleviate suffering. But God promises to work suffering for our good. And then the book of Romans in, in the Bible in chapter eight is, is really focuses in on, on that. Lutherans also do a really fantastic job of distinguishing law and gospel. And not just our pastors in their pulpits, in their sermons, but lay people can do that as well in all of our vocations. And there's a lot of law out there in pro-life circles. And by that, I mean what should be done and, and what shouldn't be done. And it's well-intentioned advice about what should be done. I mean, that that is one way that the law is useful. But the gospel, by contrast, is what God is doing and how God is acting. He's forgiving and redeeming and transforming people. The gospel is Christ's love, his compassion and mercy. So, you know, for us as finite human beings, we don't know what is happening in people's hearts. And it's God, the Holy Spirit, that applies the law and the gospel. The law kills and accuses, and I certainly needed it when I was pro-choice to identify my sin so that I could be forgiven by my Savior. But it's the gospel that actually changes people. It's God's action to change people. And our actions, which the law describes as either something we don't do or something that we do, will never save us. So we must share the gospel, what God will do, heal, comfort, forgive and redeem. I love to talk about this. Uh, and so would you know, love to invite anyone listening to reach out to me. Um, I can give you an email address. 
life ministry at lcms.org. It's, it's just the two words um, together, life ministry at lcms.org. And, and talk about what Lutherans are doing in pro-life conversations all across our, our country and, and really the globe. Thank you. Chances are good, Tiffany, that we all know people who are pro-choice, probably even in our own families. So what advice can you give us as we care for and we reach out for these pro-choice neighbors, loved ones? I think really listening to them to learn what they think and believe, and that enables us to respond appropriately. We already talked about how that would be good to delve in more deeply in the future. So I won't go into too much of that right now, but um, it's also important to remember that people are watching and listening to what you say and do. And there are people in our churches who are pro-choice, people who have had abortions in our congregations and people who have contributed to an abortion decision. We may never know who they are, but they're watching and listening to us and are in need of the gospel, in need of Christ's forgiveness. And I think also patience is very important. We may not always see the fruits of our witnessing, but you know we're faithful and we're loving and we share the truth in winsome and gracious ways. So once becoming an advocate for pro-life, you got involved in your local pregnancy center. Is that correct? What did you do there? Well, yeah, absolutely. I got involved, you know, probably like a lot of Lutherans at the start. Um, my involvement was, was hearing about our congregations, you know, support of pregnancy centers, you know, financial support or maybe other people. And, you know, I probably spent five or more years hearing about pregnancy centers in our communities. And then a woman in my mom's group at church who volunteered at a local pregnancy center was telling us how desperately they needed people to help out. And I was I was new to the community and I had some time on my hands. Uh, by then, my children were in elementary school. And so I called up the pregnancy center and, and asked what it was I needed help with. And as they got to know me and I went through some volunteer, um, I guess, assessment, <laughs> looking at my my skills and the things I'd done in my past. Um, and because of some of those you know, past experiences in my past work, they asked me to counsel women who were vulnerable to abortion. Hmm. So how did your story, Tiffany, affect the way you cared for these women who you were counseling, uh, whether they were considering abortion or were post-abortive? How did your past change your level of compassion for these women in crisis pregnancies? Well, I worked at the pregnancy center in the afternoons because I had free time during the day when my kids were at school. And it could have been the time of, of day, but I ended up with a, a caseload with, with a clientele that was primarily teenagers. Uh, the director of the pregnancy center at the time said it was really odd. She referred to it as uh, divine appointments because these were, these were all just walk-ins, not necessarily scheduled appointments um, where they asked for me. And that uh, no one else in, the, in our center had a caseload that was so predominantly made up of teens. And in in my um, empathy, I, I think I recognized in them, you know, a, a friend from years before, who sitting around the school lunch table had had told a group of us that she was pregnant and thinking of an abortion. And so that past experience and, and um, others as well, where people were patient and, and listened to me, gave me increased empathy and a desire to help these young women. 
I certainly wasn't a deaconess yet when I was serving there. I had taken some seminary classes, and I really loved the depth of theology at the seminary. And I was intrigued by the vocation of deaconess, um, you know, a woman who is trained to serve Christ and, and his people in a variety of different ways, you know, really from um, stemming from her giftedness and, and what God gives her to do. But it was, it was some of my experiences during this time at the pregnancy center when I realized that I wanted to do better at being able to care for people going through difficulty. I wanted to be able to better articulate the faith and Christ's love and mercy for the people at the center and also the, the people in my life. So then you witnessed women changing their, their mind, I'm sure, in choosing life over abortion. Tell us uh, what you feel led most women to, to change their minds. Well, many of the women that I worked with changed their minds after their ultrasounds and also after learning about human development. Once they realized they were carrying a child and not a blob of cells, they were far more open. Uh, seeing the images on the ultrasound screen, that was huge for them to see the, the little one and be told, you know, here's the baby's head and here's the arms and the legs and to see the child moving. After that, it would really be the material things that they needed. So helping to find housing was a huge thing. So many of these teenagers, these young women were fearful that they were going to be kicked out of their homes or that their boyfriend would abandon them. So having someone to walk with them while they learned how to find a doctor for prenatal care and how to apply for health insurance while they were pregnant and to learn how to find housing, how to apply for a job. Those things helped women to change their minds as well. So, you know, really it was two things, learning the truth about their baby and then having loving support, someone that they could reach out to who would pray for them. We had a lot of conversations about prayer. Um, I received a lot of requests for prayer over the weeks and months that I would would walk with a, a woman, something to listen to. That That also was really helpful for them. I think it was being surrounded by that support. And, and once those things were in place, then we were able to talk about, about faith, about our triune God. And once the trust level increased, I could talk with these women about Jesus, who's Emmanuel, God with them. That's what the word Emmanuel means, God with us through all the challenges and difficulty and how God loves them and would support them through his people and forgiving and redeeming all of us. So Tiffany, just to wrap up, from pro-choice to pro-life, volunteering at a pregnancy center to now being a deaconess and director of LCMS Life Ministry, connect those dots for us. What encouragement also can you give our listener who's looking for a way to get involved in pro-life work? Yeah, as I uh, said as we started chatting, I have been on a journey. God has taken me on a journey. And on the way, he's brought other people into my life and serve me through them. So vocationally, we all serve. Our vocations are the roles that God puts us in. For me, it's being a daughter, a mother, a sister, a wife. And he serves other people through me, through those roles. And there's no one vocation that's more high and holy than another. You don't have to be a deaconess or a director to serve in life ministry, to witness to and care for people and point them to Christ. I, mean, I never, ever would have expected to end up as a rostered professional church worker 25 plus years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
even, even when I was studying at the seminary, I totally expected that my training would be put to use as a volunteer in my congregation. And in LCMS Life Ministry, we have lots of ways of, for people to serve. You know, there are thousands of people out there in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, across this country, and across the world, who are speaking up for the sanctity of human life. Or they're caring for people in body and soul to support their lives. And there's there's people out there teaching about life to those that God has put in around them. I would love to talk with any listener about the ways they could serve within their vocations and the skills and gifts that God has given to them. And you know, I shared an email address earlier. I'll just say it one one more time. Life ministry at lcms.org. So we can talk specifics about what God has equipped you with and how you could serve. But I think as far as encouragement, I mean, let's face it, sometimes people serving in pro-life efforts can get discouraged. Satan would delight in our being totally discouraged and feeling like things will never change in our society, in our world, and that we should just give up. But he's the father of lies and the one behind all the lies of abortion and euthanasia and all the other ways in which the devil seeks to promote a culture of death. And in John 10, 10, so chapter 10, verse 10, there's a contrast between the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, which is what Satan seeks to do. But Christ came that we may have life and have it abundantly. And our encourager is really Christ who tells us in his word, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tiffany, for joining us on our very first episode of Friends for Life. Oh, I'm so glad to chat with you, Steph, and I look forward to hearing more from you and learning from other Friends for Life that you'll introduce us to. (laughs) And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review, and don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. Mm -hmm.